Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And I'd like to begin this episode by talking about an event that took place on an unnamed road and involved three unidentified people. The fourth person involved was Jesus. And it is what Jesus had to say at this time to these three people that makes this event so significant. It is found in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. That's Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. The passage says, And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I first want us to notice these three individuals and what appear to be very noble sentiments on their part. The first said, I will follow you wherever you go. The second certainly implied a willingness to follow Jesus just as soon as he took care of the pressing need of his father. No one knows if this fellow's father was already dead or if he was saying that he would first go and take care of his father, and after his father's death, then he would give his time to Jesus. Still a third said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. All of these seemed to be noble and valid statements. They all expressed a willingness to follow Jesus. Yes, there were some other things that needed to be taken care of first, but they were all willing to follow the Lord. Surely salvation for such individuals would be just a formality. What more could Jesus want than this? Well, let's notice the answers. First, Jesus said, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Why that kind of an answer? Why dampen the enthusiasm of a man who obviously wanted to be a follower of the Lord? It seems clear that Jesus knew the measure of that man's enthusiasm. He knew that the individual did not appreciate the full meaning of his own words and that he had not counted the cost, indeed had not even considered the cost. Following Jesus would not mean a life of comfort and ease, a life of power and popularity. It might even mean some real hardship for the one who would be his disciple. To the second one, Jesus said, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. 
The willingness to follow Jesus was a good and commendable thing, but it had to be properly understood. To bury a father was a sacred duty. Genesis 25 verse 9 certainly indicates this. But there is nothing that should be allowed to come between a person and his or her obedience to God. The first, highest, and most important duties of all are those duties which we owe to God. To the third, Jesus said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. This fellow also expressed the willingness to follow Jesus, but he had to say goodbye first. To teach the lesson, Jesus quoted an old agricultural proverb. The plowman always wants to plow a straight furrow, but to do this, he must keep his focus straightforward. He must look at what lies ahead, what is before him. If he turns and looks back, he moves off course and the line becomes crooked. In each case, Jesus was teaching a very important lesson. Yes, the Lord wants disciples, there is no doubt about that. But there is also no doubt that he wants a particular kind of disciple, a particular kind of follower. It has absolutely nothing to do with race, nationality, education, wealth, or any such thing. Words of commitment are a dime a dozen. Jesus wants followers who are committed to him indeed, 100%, and not just in word. He was telling each of these unnamed people on this unnamed road how demanding and exacting being a disciple may be. Essentially, Jesus was asking, are you willing to sacrifice? Are you really willing to follow me wherever I go? On more than one occasion, Jesus went out of his way to define discipleship. And how Jesus spoke of it is not how the world speaks of it today. Today's practical definition of being a disciple of Jesus is a casual or convenient service to him, an affinity for him, or an emotional attachment to him. It seems to me to be best summed up by those who run around saying, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! and then obey him only when it is convenient and does not interfere with other things they want to place before him. Everybody wants to praise Jesus, but not nearly so many actually want to obey him. That is not how Jesus spoke of discipleship. Let's go to Luke 18 and we'll look at the account of the rich young ruler, an account that shows the demands Jesus placed upon those who would be his disciples. This was a young man who obviously respected Jesus and desired to have eternal life. We'll pick up reading in verse 18. And a certain ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
Was the point of Jesus' statement that in order to be his disciple, we can own no material goods? Was his point that all must sell everything they have to follow him? No, not at all. If we were to read the parallel account in Mark 10, we would find it stated that Jesus felt a love for him. However, the Lord saw that there was one weak point in this man's character, and that weak point was his attitude toward his wealth. There was one thing he would place before Jesus, and that one thing was all that he owned of a material nature, his possessions. When we think about it, there was one way presented to this young man for him to inherit eternal life. No alternative was offered to him. It was to do what Jesus commanded him to do and be saved, or refuse and be lost. The test was not put to him, part with your earthly possessions or part with Jesus. He chose to remain with his earthly possessions. The whole point is, nothing can come before the Lord. What do we hear today? Just accept Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior and you will have eternal life. Where did this teaching come from? Where do people find it? Because it certainly is not found in the Bible. If Jesus ever planned to save men in that fashion, why didn't he say so to the three unmade men on the unnamed road? Why didn't he say so to the rich young ruler? Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? If ever there was a time for Jesus to say, just accept me into your heart as your personal savior, that was it. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? No. And the reason is the fact of the matter is that the Lord requires more. He requires and demands obedience. The Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 8 and 9 wrote, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. The truth is, Jesus demands a faith that leads to a committed life. He demands a faith that is willing to pay any price. Do you remember the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26? He said, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? With his current priorities, Jesus could not use the rich young ruler because he was not willing to follow him to the extent that it is required. And I wonder, where does each one of us fall on that scale? Where do we fit in? As we look at John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, we find Jesus giving a definition of a follower or a disciple. The passage says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Those who are true followers of Jesus are those who abide in his word. To abide in his word means to live by it and to be wholly obedient to it. Being a follower of Jesus is not something that is accomplished simply by saying, that is what we are. It is accomplished by both word and deed. It is a life that we live, not just a doctrine that we embrace. In John 8, Jesus knew that many who said they believed on him 
was shallow and did not have the commitment necessary. So he immediately made it clear what real discipleship was all about. It is the same today. Lots of people get caught up in the excitement of religion and are all ready to ask the Lord Jesus into their hearts as their personal Savior because that man-made idea requires no commitment. But teach them the total commitment that is necessary and the reaction may very well not be the same. I want to see clearly what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Religion is not a game. Our stated faith is not just a way to pass some time. Know what being a disciple is all about is illustrated in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The passage tells us, Now it came about that while the multitudes were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they singled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I really can't think of a better way to put it than they left everything and followed him. That is what being a follower of Jesus is all about. Not physically walking away from everything we own, but an absolute submission of my will to the will of the Lord to any extent. Well, a person may say, but I love Jesus. But is that really true? Jesus said to his apostles in John 15, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I command you. The words of John's first epistle sum up well the nature of being a true follower of the Lord. He wrote in 1 John 3, and verse 18, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Are we willing to follow the Lord whatever the cost? Are we really willing to do what the gospel demands of us? Are we willing to grow in obedience? So it seems that the biblical definition of following Jesus is to completely surrender one's life to him. Our thoughts, words, and deeds must be governed by his word. By this definition, where do most of us fit in? Are we followers of Christ? Thanks for listening.